Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Crosspoint Podcast. And please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd love to have you join us in person at 10 a.m. this Sunday at Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. You can also connect with us online at frbc.com. Thanks again for checking us out and enjoy the episode. We've been in this series entitled Consider Christ, and uh, I've been in and out for a couple of weeks. I've been teaching our new members class, uh, but looking forward to the chance to be back in here with you, and I'm thankful for Brother Lawwell, who uh, has filled in and uh, been such a help to, to me, and I, I know he's been a help to you. He's such a great teacher, and so, um, but been looking at considering Christ, so the passage that we have chosen for our theme from Hebrews chapter number 12 uh, has simply just been this thought of looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him despised the cross, enduring the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And then verse number 3 from Hebrews 12 says this, for consider him, for consider him. And one of the things that I've really enjoyed bringing out in this study and really in that thought is this, is, you know, sometimes you get, and the world has this perspective of Christianity that almost makes it feel like, well, Christianity is forced on you, or Christianity has all these rules and all of, the, all of these laws and has all of, this, all of this that you're supposed to do and all of the things that, that just Jesus just pushes himself on you. But in verse number three, we don't get that feeling, do we? It says, for consider him, for consider him. It's a consideration. And our goal throughout this series is just to provide you with truths from the Word of God about Jesus Christ that as you take up this idea of considering Jesus and who He is and what He's done and how He will lead your life, that He has the ability to guide you to the proper place. And so I love lesson number six. I'm excited to teach it as we uh, look at this thought from Luke chapter number six, verses 39 through 49. Consider his lordship. Consider his lordship. Now, before we get into the passage, let me define lordship for you, okay? Because it's not really a word that we use in our modern vernacular, all right? Lordship is teaching us or showing us who is the Lord of our life, okay? You've probably, if you've grown up in church any time at all, you've heard a statement like this, that is, if he is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. How many of you have heard something like that? All right, if he is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. Now, let me just go ahead and maybe break that apart theologically for you for just a second, okay? We have to understand that when we talk about the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we are not talking about the salvation of Jesus Christ, all right? So when we hear a statement like that, that if he is not Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all, all right? Basically what we're saying is if Jesus doesn't have, if he's not the Lord of your wallet, if he's not the Lord of your relationships, if he's not the Lord of your uh, finances, of your job, if he's not the Lord of all, then he's not the Lord at all. And where that misses is simply this, is that we have to go back to Romans and the, the teaching of salvation that teaches us that for by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves, lest any man should boast, all right? 
This is not, we do not believe in a works-based salvation. All right? The Bible teaches us in Romans chapter number 10, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, period. All right? So if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, what you are called upon, there must be a point of salvation, but then here's what lordship refers to. There must be a point of surrender. There must be a point where you say, you know what, Jesus, you know what, God, because you have been the Lord of my salvation, I also desire that you be the Lord of my life. So you give over what you are called to do. You give over your relationships. You give over your finances. You give over all of these things. And so in Luke chapter number 6, verses 39 through 49 is where we're going to uncover this truth. I love this passage. I know it's going to be a little bit lengthy uh, to read. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you have your handout or you have your Bible, um, I'm all about engaging you in the reading of Scripture. So we're going to read responsively today, all right? Which means this. I'll read verse 39, you read verse 40. I'll read verse 41, you read verse 42, all right? Do I need to keep going? Or have you guys un unlocked the pattern, all right? All right, this is like your achievement test to like back in the day where, where it would give you a square, triangle, circle, and then it would say, all right, complete the pattern, and you have to, oh, 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 all right, and like fill in that little bubble, all right? That's what we're going to do, all right? So we'll, I'll read the first verse, you read the second verse, and we'll go all the way down to verse number 49, but let's begin in verse number 39. And he spake a parable unto them, can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? Good job, everybody. Good job. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but perceivest not the beam that is in thine own eye? I promise I did not plan to give you the world's longest verse, all right? Uh, so, but you guys did great with it, okay? Um, let's, let's stop for just a second. Let's explain what's happening, okay? So when we see the word moat, once again, not a word that we always use. What it's talking about is a splinter, something that is small, and then you have the word beam, something that we do use, something that probably most of you just didn't run to Lowe's and pick up this weekend. What he's saying is this. If you see a moat, a splinter, a small piece in someone else's eye, and you miss the beam that is hanging out most likely both the front and the back, all right, then we have a serious problem, right? He says what we often focus on is other people's failures rather than our own, okay? I love that he said, I don't love that he says this, all right, it hits too close to home, but it, I love that Jesus says, thou hypocrite, Okay? What's one of the greatest uses the, against the church in today's world? That people don't come to church. Why? Hypocrisy. Dylan said it. Hypocrisy. People don't come. Well, because of the hypocrisy. Well, how do we combat hypocrisy? We must constantly evaluate ourselves. It's, it's not your problem. It's my problem. It, it, it's not your failures. It's my failures. All right, verse number 43. For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, Neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For a thorn 
A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. So here's the verse. Here's the Lordship verse. You just read it. He says, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Why do you say, oh, I am a Jesus follower. I love God. You put it in your Instagram bio. You, you talk about you have a sticker on the back of your car, and then all of a sudden you don't follow what Jesus says. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Verse number 47. What, Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. So this is the example of who the person who follows Jesus is like. And then it says in verse number 49, But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built an house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Would you go back and would you read verse number 46 out loud together with me as we think about this lesson of his lordship. Verse number 46 of John, or not John, Luke chapter number 6, uh, verse 46. Ready, begin. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? I hope you got a handout today because there's a lot of verses, support verses on there that I'm not going to take the time to reference all of them, but I do want you to see it and be able to follow along. I want us to think for the next couple of minutes about how we, as children of God, can consider the Lordship of Jesus. The Lordship of Jesus. And here's what I would ask you. What is it that today you need to hand over into the hands of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What, what do you need to hand over? I believe as I look around the room, probably most of you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you are here today and you have not done that, let me encourage you to hand over your salvation or maybe your stubbornness to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and trust Him as your Savior. But for everyone else who is here and you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, what are the areas that you have a tendency to just kind of hang on to and, and want to be in your control rather than the control of Jesus Christ? And so let's pray and we'll ask the Lord to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. Lord, I'm so grateful that you are a God, that when we trust your Lordship, Lord, when we give something over to you, you have a way of taking it and using it and making it so much better than what we could do with our own hands. God, I ask that you would help us to trust your Lordship. Lord, may we hand over the areas of our life that we have a tendency to hoard and hang on to so that we can use them for your honor and for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. How many of you, let's be honest, all right, this is not, this is, um, this is not a... Uh, this is a confession time, all right? This is what this is. This is a safe place, okay? How many of you have gotten into some of, or maybe not even gotten into it, because I know you're single adults, but you've seen some of the furniture restoration that happens in our, in our world, all right? Some of the furniture restoration, okay? Of maybe, okay, seven of you. You guys have seen some of it, all right? How many of you have seen, not gotten into it, you've seen some of it? Let's just start there. Let's just start there, all right? You've seen some of it. Good. 
Well, so sometimes when, when you look at something like that, it, like I, I get some of these reels every now and then to where it'll say something to the effect of like, I bought this for, a, for $50 and it shows like all this work that they do. And of course it's like in like 12 times speed and it's like, it, it was not that fast. If it was that fast, I would do it too, like, right? Like, but like they're like running around and they're like sanding everything and it's like they're moving, like they paint it in like two seconds and it's like, okay, well that took you probably three and a half hours, all right? Yeah. But there's all of this stuff to where they take and they say, I got this for $50. And some of the people who are actually really good at it, they'll take it and they'll add parts to it and they'll add pieces to it and they'll sand it down and they'll take it back to its original state and then they might add paint to it or whatever. And then the people who are really good at it, they take it and they're like, and I sold it for $450. And it's like, wow, like that, that is an impressive turnover. All right. A couple of months ago, or a couple, I guess now years ago, um, we, we uh, bought a fixer-upper house and one of the areas that we were remodeling was uh, a dining room area and we just like kept looking at the size of dining room table that we would need in there and it was way too big for our budget. Like, I mean, it was just like you needed a massive table to fill it up. And so we kept looking, we kept looking while my mother-in-law actually found a table on the side of the road. I think it was originally intended for Blake and he didn't end up using it. And so now she's just got this dining room table sitting in her garage and she's like, well, I think that it would be something that would work. And so she brought it over to our house and we, we looked at it and we're like, man, if we put like the leafs in and like extend it all the way, like this would be like a really good size for our, our, uh, our dining room. And so we were like, well, I wonder like what would happen like if, we, if you sanded it down and like if you stripped all of the paint and stuff off of the top. And so we sat it out on our back porch. Well, I think this was actually during COVID, wasn't it? Because we had all the time in the world to do whatever we wanted. So we just refinished tables, all right? And so we sanded it all down and stripped the top. Well, being the people who was not very good at paying attention to the Instagram reels and did not know what in the Sam Hill we were doing, all right? We sanded it down and, we, and we're like, all right, well, we need to put something on the top. And so let's just see what we, and like it was so pretty underneath of it. And like it, it was, it just had like this really cool finish. Anything that we put on that stinking table turned out to be orange. Like it was like we would get it and we're like, oh yeah, this looks really good. So how many times did we drag it in and out of the back door? And this is a big table. It's me and Lauren. Everyone else is scared of COVID. All right. So just me and her we couldn't get any help. And so we dragged this huge, like eight foot dining room table in and we would get in. We're like, well, maybe it just needs to dry. Like it just needs to dry. And we would come out the next morning. I have this vivid memory of hearing Lauren walk out the next morning morning after we did it and she just goes oh that's so ugly like oh she's like it's still and she's like hollering in the back of the house like it's so ugly it's still orange and I'm like oh and so we would drag it back out and we would strip all, all the orange back off and finally I think it was like the third or fourth time we got a product that when we put it on there it didn't soak it up it didn't turn it orange and now we have this beautiful dining room table here's the reason why I give you that illustration is because in the hands of someone who knows what they are doing, they can take something that other people see no beauty in and make it beautiful. In the hands of someone who knows what they were, are doing, they can see something that is broken that other people are like, just get it out of my garage, and someone else can take it and say, oh, absolutely, please let me take, take that on. And in your life as a child of God, here's what you must understand. Is when you claim ownership of different things in your life, you are missing out 
on the beautiful work of art and the beautiful work that Jesus himself can do when you choose to hand it over to him. You're missing out on what Jesus can take and turn your life into. You're missing out on what Jesus can take your education and turn it into. You're you're missing out on what Jesus can do when you just say, I'm handing this over to the Lord. In the passage that we have before us in Luke chapter number 6, I see quickly three thoughts that I want to share with you and then uh, two subpoints with each one of them that I hope you'll follow along with. The first one is simply this. How do we surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? How, how do we hand this over so that He can make something great out of it? First of all, we must follow the Lord. We must follow the Lord. In verse number 39, it says, And he spake a parable unto them, Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? He almost gives us a little bit of a humorous picture here, doesn't he? Of two blind people trying to help each other make it through this life. And he says, they can't lead each other. They're going to end up in a place that they should not be. He says, the disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect, that word perfect means mature, shall be as his master. So you say, all right, Give me a reason why I should follow the Lord. The first one is this, because blindness is our hindrance. Because blindness is our hindrance. You've got several passages there in your handout that I would encourage you to go back and look through, but here's simply what I want to say. Is that you and I must understand that because of sin, we do not have the proper perspective on this life as we often should. You know, I, I, I sit in meetings and in appointments sometimes and I hear people talk and like in the back of my mind, I'm thinking like, wow, like I just, this is a swing and a miss. Like what they're saying is not what is actually true. What, what they're saying is, is not biblical, okay? And then I evaluate my own life and what I have to evaluate in my own life is there are times to where I'm seeing something that God doesn't want me to be seeing, That God is thinking up in heaven, he's like, okay, Joel's missing it. Joel's not responding to this situation the correct way. As a child of God, our sin nature is that it has caused us to sometimes be blind to some areas. And that is why we must follow the Lord wholeheartedly. Our only hope at not ending up in a spiritual ditch, as what is referred to in verse number 39, Our only hope is following Jesus Christ. If we're all just following each other and blindness is our hindrance, then guess what? If you're following Joel Norris, Joel Norris could eventually lead you into a ditch. I pray that not not some of you are like, wait, do you fall into ditches? I'm not talking about actual ditches, okay? Like, what I'm saying is that if you're seeking after me, I'm a human being and there will come a point where I will fail you. If you're following some social media influencer in your spiritual life, there will come a point where they will fail you. If you're following a parent, if you're following a friend, if you're following a girlfriend, if you're following a boyfriend, there will come a point to where the blind leading the blind will lead to a ditch. So what's the response? Secondly, Jesus is our goal. Jesus is our goal. Human nature goes and finds someone that they are better than, don't we? Okay? Sometimes if you are, if you check social media or whatever, you, there's all these fitness fanatics out there, all right? Like all these people that you look at and you're like, oh, sheesh, like that, like, 
Oh, to be like them and get paid to work out and look the way, like, I don't even know if I was paid to work out if I would be able to do it, all right? But, like, oh, to just be, be so healthy and to be so fit and so active, and then you just get this feeling like, but then what do you do? You're like, well, at least I'm better than so-and-so, right? We go and find the case or the scenario that we are better than, and here's what we must understand about our Christian life is that the person seated beside you is not the standard for your spiritual life. Jesus is the standard for your spiritual life. You will always be able to find a Christian that you are better than. You will always be able to find someone that you can say, well, at least I'm not struggling like so-and-so. At least I'm not struggling like this person. At least I don't have this problem. At least I'm not addicted to this. At least I'm not living like this. You'll always be able to find someone that you are better than, but your standard, your measuring stick is not other Christians. It is Jesus Christ. He says in verse number 40, the disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. Secondly, I love the way that this is stated, all right? First of all, follow the Lord because blindness is our hindrance because Jesus is our goal. But secondly, I want you to see this. Walk in humility. Walk in humility. I think I've said this before, but I try to remind you of it just so that you don't think that some of this is coming from me, all right? Um, This is a series that our church has, has, um, we're all teaching through in different classes. And so it's actually from a book. And uh, as I was studying it, I was thinking to myself, if I read verses 41 down through 45 about that the moat in my eye and the beam in my brother's eye and that I can see the beam or the beam and I can see the moat in my brother's eye and I can't see the beam. If I'm reading that passage, I'm probably not going to make point number two, walk in humility. Okay, I'm going to make it get the beam out of your eye, you stinking Christian loser, and figure it out. Like, that's what point number two is going to be if Joel Norris teaches it, okay? But I actually love the way that point number two is written in that we should walk in humility. You see, what it takes for you to evaluate your Christian life so consistently and to be able to see your own failures rather than constantly be looking at the failures of other people is simply just humility. At the end of the day, it is pride that causes us to say, Aha! I see the problem in your life, but I'm just going to ignore the problem in my life. That is pride. And so when Jesus says in verses 41 down through verse 45, when he gives us this illustration of this person who is looking for the small, minuscule problem in someone else's life versus the giant, glaring problem in their life, what he's actually just getting us to see and what he wants us to understand is that that is a pride problem. And the way that we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ is by walking in humility and just saying, Lord, what do you have for me next? So what does walking in humility look like? I love this. Humility is not critical. Humility is not critical. Isn't it interesting how critical society has gotten? I mean, overwhelmingly critical. I have these moments in my life, and I'm, I hesitate to admit this, but this is the human side of Joel, okay? To where I can get around with someone else, and some of you, if you're, if you're not feeling super godly today, you will be able to admit this as well, okay? 
but I can get around someone else and all of a sudden, like maybe, and maybe if it's someone on our staff and something's going on, or even it's my wife or whatever, and, and I'll just start saying like, I cannot believe that so-and-so had like this going on. Like, I cannot believe, like, and it's just like, well, you know that it's because of, and then it's just like, you just get going and it's like, well, I mean, this world is just coming to it. And like, if everybody just was perfect like us, and, and then it's like, I have this moment where I catch myself and I'm like, you idiot. Like, this is such a discouraging conversation, right? Like, no one leaves conversations like that. And you know what? You know what? Because of how much I talked about how bad they were, I'm feeling really good about myself right now. No one leaves those conversations thinking, like, I'm a, I'm a great Christian. And there's even times where I'll joke, with, I'll joke with whoever I'm talking to. I'll joke with my wife. And it's like, well, if everybody could just be like me, this world would be such a better place, right? It's sarcastic because it's like, in some ways, that's what we feel like. But humility looks at someone else and says, yeah, they've got problems, but so do I. Yeah, yeah, they, they've got some weird junk going on in their life, but so do I. Humility is not critical. Humility, please listen to this because I love this thought. Humility may see the beam in someone else's eye and still knows that the problem is the moat in your own eye. Okay, I use biblical terms, so I want, you, I want to let that statement sink in. Humility is seeing the big problem in someone else. Like, if someone's walking around with a beam hanging out of their eye, like, oof, you need to go see someone about that. But what humility says is, yes, they may have a big problem, but because of what Jesus has done for me, I'm still focused on my little problem. I'm still focused on what may be even insignificant to someone else. And if we would step back as children of God and as Christians and stop worrying about the problems of someone else and focus so much on the purifying aspect of who we are, we would be better for it. The cause of Christ would be better for it. If we stop saying like, well, at least I'm not going through what they're... No, 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 no. Humility says... I'm not going to be critical of someone else. I'm still walking through some things in my own life that I need the Lord's help with. So humility is not critical. But then secondly, humility sees our need for growth. Humility sees our need for growth. Look at verse number 43. It says, For a good tree bringeth, forth, bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bringeth forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. And then look at verse number 45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. Do you want to check your fruit? Check the root. Do you want to uh, evaluate what you are going to produce? See what you have under the ground. See what you have beneath the surface. I don't have time to really dwell on all of this, and I, and I want to. But can I just, just encourage you with something as a child of God? Never stop growing. N never stop. Never think that you've gotten to the point to where God can't teach you anything else. One of the things that I am uncovering right now in my own Christian life, but even in, the, in just the way that churches operate, is one of the things that has killed us as a church in America 
is that we almost got to the point to where we don't need God to do any more working on us. We've just become okay with who we are and where we are. And so we just stop. And when we walk in humility, humility is not critical, but humility also says, I need to grow. I need to change some things. I need to evaluate my root. And then lastly is this, build on the truth. Build on the truth. How do we do that? First of all, letter A, we consent to the truth. We consent to the truth. Verse 47 says, Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. Consent to the truth. Do you want to know one of the reasons why you don't have God's leading in an area in your life is possibly because you just have not consented to it. Possibly because you've just, you've fought him so long, you, you've been so stubborn. Like, well, well, I want God to show me, but unless he writes it in the sky, I'm just going to keep doing my own thing. I'm just, going to keep, I'm just going to keep building what I want to. Build on the truth, consent to the truth, but then secondly, construct on the truth. Here's what I want to close with, all right? You have, you have, if you've grown up in church for any time at all, you might have heard the song, the wise man built his house on the all right? Like, we should have sang that today, but it, Jared couldn't strum that on his guitar, okay? Um, but the wise man built his house upon the rock, the foolish man built his house upon the sand, and the winds came, and the fires came, no, I guess fire didn't come, all right? But all this bad stuff came, okay? And what happened? The house that was built on Jesus Christ stood strong, and the house that was built upon the sands of this time and the sands of this world fell flat. Okay? You say, that's a really cool analogy. It's a great analogy, but it has an even better application if you'll listen to it. What are you building your life on? What are you, what are you seeking after in this world? You can, please, please listen to this. This is the last thing that I'll say and I'll be done. Okay? You can build a huge house on a failing foundation and all you will have is nothing. Or you can build a small house on a steady foundation and you'll have everything. We don't think about it like that too often, do we? Well, look at what I have created with my life. It's built on sand. It's going to fall. It's going to fail. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Or, what we could do is we could come to the foundation of Jesus Christ. And yes, it may be smaller. Yes, it may not be about us. Yes, it may not be something that makes everybody step back and go, they did but it will stand the test of time but it will last for eternity but it will impact those around us and you know what lordship is lordship is this understanding that what i'm building upon the foundation of jesus christ is all that matters i can build something big on a failing foundation, and it won't matter. When people walk by your life at the end of it, all they'll see is the splintered wood and the stubble of a failed life because you built something big on something small. But when they walk by, 
something that may seem small, something that may, may not be insignificant, but they see it built on the right foundation, at least there's something for them to look at. Stop building on something that will fail you and begin to build on truth. Let's pray and we'll be done. Dearly Father God, we thank you for the day that you've given us. Lord, thank you for well, thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Crosspoint Podcast. Remember to take a moment to subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And again, don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and tell others about this content. Remember, we would love to have you be our guest in person this Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. You can connect with us online at frbc.com and we look forward to seeing you again soon.